Hi everyone, it's Mackenzie and I'm here with Brittany and you're listening to Rising Radiant Podcast. We are so excited to announce our very first guest today, Mo Isa. Mo is a wife, a mom, a preacher, a New York Times best-selling author, a warrior in the kingdom, a pioneer, and radically in love with Jesus. Today we talk about purity, shame, and redemption. Thanks for tuning in. We're excited you're here. For those of you who don't know, for everybody listening, Mo is just a deep, deep well, and she has an insane prophetic mantle on her life of just what she releases in the body of Christ and everything in ministry and in the kingdom. And so, Mo, it's such an honor to have you today. Thank you, guys. This is a treat. Those are kind words. I, uh, I'm excited to join and, and dig in and dig deep and make everybody listening uncomfortable. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Let's no, open conversation. <laughs> yes. I just want to Thank you for having me. Also to what you said, Ken's. I know, Mo, when I've listened to a lot of your messages on YouTube or your, your different podcasts that you've done, I love the, the authority that you carry in this message of purity. And I, I think it's so timely to a generation that's so hungry for answers on the topic of purity and, and yeah. just like finding our identity in it. And like, what does the word, the world say versus what does the word of God say? And I just, I believe so much that God takes our pain and turns it into our purpose and our platform. And that, yeah. you know, I know you say like, God will take our mess and turn it into our message. And I just see that so much in your life and I Mm. just honor you for the authority that you carry in this topic um, Mm. that our generation so desperately needs to hear. So Mm. we are so honored to have you with us and to just hear your heart on this, on the topic of just purity and identity and what that looks like. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's really interesting. I think so often of Peter and John in the book of Acts who were um, just what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, what everyone recognized as just very ordinary, uneducated men. Yet they stood because of obviously their life and their time with Jesus. And then the dwelling, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they stood in authority before the very ones who could have crushed it who had just crucified their Christ like and yet they they stand toe-to-toe with um the leaders of the time who are working to silence them and their only response is we cannot stop telling everyone about what we've seen and heard and you know I I think at zero point in my life was I like I think I'll run the lane of sex ministry (laughs) it was never in the cards it was never the thought but once you've known brokenness and you've encountered the radical dignifying touch of Christ and the emboldening filling of the Holy Spirit. It's like you run whatever direction he says go. And so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting lane, I guess, to be moving in right now. One that I never foresaw, but I think scripture where he's like, just stand in the hour and I'll give you the words to speak. Right. Okay, let's do this because why would we not boast in the freedom that we've come to know? Why would we why would we shy away from the hard conversations if we realized what a prison the silence was? Mm-hmm. And then we knew freedom wow. of of the tongue carrying the power of life and death. Well, if we would just speak, if we would just speak truth. It is yeah. amazing to see freedom that comes for so many, and it's just an honor to be a part of it. I love that. And I think your story just of turning your brokenness into boldness is just, it is so emboldening. It's so powerful. And your message of redemption and purity has just been 
a cadence for so many people to propel them into redemption and restoration. And so it's so powerful. And so we just, we would love if you could um, just start off with just sharing a little bit of your testimony and what kind of propelled you into sharing your testimony with such boldness and in bravery. Yeah, I'll say that, um, goodness, it was interesting. Um, once I came to know Christ, it was such a radical transformation that took place in my life. And I think for a while, I simply thought of my testimony in the framework of the, the raised up, uh, faith by inheritance, cultural Christian. I mean, I'm Bible Belt. I'm a Georgia girl. It was like raised up in religion, um, in, you know, Christianity, in church, but um, really just my foundations built on sand. I was kind of a Christian because my parents were, I could have told you a lot about God, but didn't really know God intimately at all for myself. Um, Kind of in the motions and not even realizing it. And then you know, growing up and progressing and suddenly real challenges came and challenges uh, against my identity that sought to dismantle my worth, my value, eating disorder that developed, perfectionism, anxiety, you know, moved through seasons Mm -hmm. of that. And then the suicide of my father was just out of left field when I'm this well-known collegiate athlete and, you know, succeeding on the surface and dying underneath. I mean, looking at my dad's body at a morgue table at 19 Mm -hmm. and Mm-hmm. Um, it just catapulted me into depression, into anxiety, into mm-hmm. promiscuity, into really seeking any sin-sized piece to fill this mm-hmm. huge God-sized hole in my heart. Kind of this yeah. roller coaster ride of, yeah. I guess, faith, knowing a lot about God, but not knowing how that applied when life looked nothing like we planned, nothing like the blessing, right. nothing like the prosperity, none of, nothing of ease. And all just overwhelming. And, you know, I came to a point even in my own life where I understood why my dad did what he did. And there were times where it seemed like a a pretty viable option to Mm. just end things Mm. because the pain was overwhelming. The fear was overwhelming. The reputation that was preceding me because of the actions I was living in and just enslaved Mm. to was overwhelming. Nothing looked like I thought it would look. Mm. And we could win Academy Awards for what great actresses we mm. are. I could hold things together on the surface, but yeah. I mean, it's anxiety attacks in a parking lot. It's depression. It's waking up in another college guy's, you know, apartment, yeah. still feeling empty and broken. And when I was headed home for Thanksgiving break, um, after my sophomore year of college, I was in a really horrific car accident and it was actually hanging upside down in that wreck where I was really at the end of my rope, the end of my line. Um, that the, the presence, I praise God for his mercy, just the yeah. presence and the power of the Holy Spirit entered in to that wreckage and it was physically crushing and in the same breath, like soul resuscitate. It was overwhelming, hard for me to even describe, but the presence of the living God just coming into my company Mm. and saying, would you be still and know that I am God? And there were these, it's like we hear the radical crazy testimonies and then we're like, well, mine's invalid because my life's been so sick. It's really not. All it takes, yeah, he could sideline your car on the interstate. He could wreck everything you've known in your life or it could just be a whisper. 
into your story. But when the breath of God breathes onto dry bones, somehow by the, by the miracle of his power, they rise up. And man, I remember encountering God in such a personal way in that, that place. And it was like a download of the depths of the gospel in a way I'd never heard it before, even lining, even the pews of a church for how many decades. I'd never heard the gospel as personally as it came by his breath in saying, in this world, you'll face trouble. Take heart, have courage. I've overcome the world. There was such a personal weight of my own sin and brokenness that, Mm -hmm. that nailed him to the cross. Mm -hmm. And in the same moment, this personal touch of, and I stayed on that cross for you. Like it just became very personal and real. And so I was like, whoa, (laughs) this is crazy. But you can't deny it when the touch of of God has come, there's no shaking it. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I had to go recover for a while from that accident and get back to school a, a short while later. Um, and I, I initially kind of moved back into the rhythm of my sin, like the same friend groups, the same places you go hang, because it's, it's hard. When you first come to know this insane transformation that's happened within you, it's like, how do I rectify that with the life I've been living? Hmm. But it was interesting moving back into what I knew the difference of not just like guilt or shame or fear or crush, but like true conviction of, I have more for you. Remember in the car, remember my voice, remember my touch. All these things are are far less than what I have for you. And so it was like this conviction that came that I suddenly had a hunger to respond to. And, And as a result of that willingness to respond, which is important, we understand the act of like co-laboring Right. Work with Christ, but the willingness to say, okay, God, then like, whatever you say, it's you, it's you. Like my life was nothing without you. And so now I'll just follow you and everything started to change. So, um, I would say, as I looked at my testimony originally, I just saw, okay, eating disorder, suicide, you know, car accident, crazy moment of coming to Christ, then everything changed. And as I'm like fleshing it out, wait, there was a huge parallel to this of sexual testimony as well. I was broken. I was promiscuous. I was addicted to pornography. I was enslaved to this sin. I'm giving pieces of myself away to anyone who would would <laughs> let me know they'd maybe give me their heart in response. And then I came to know this Jesus, like this turning point. Yeah. Everything changed by way of my sexuality, by my way of my sexual decision-making, by way of my choices in that area with my body, with my life, with my purity, all of that changed too. And why are we so comfortable like boasting in the weaknesses of the uh, not easier stuff, but maybe uh, more talked about stuff? And yet, why do I feel so silent to share about this sexual stuff? Wow. Even though I came to know this crazy freedom, like it all, it all hinged on this coming to know Christ and there was brokenness, Christ, crazy transformation. And so I think um, when I started to find the words there and find, like sit in the presence of God and let him reveal to me the wounds, the realities, the points of confusion, like to look back from the start and see the enemy's tactics over my life, my own sin, all the brokenness 
up until him, he was like, now I have a few things I want you to open your mouth and say, because there are many who know this same bondage and they're silenced by shame and somebody's got to go first. And I'm like, no, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I'd I'd rather not. I mean, my story, goodness, for anyone listening, it involved adultery in college. Yeah. It involved with a married man on a drunken night. And I mean, just things that the church ladies would break a sweat and kick you out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but I met a Jesus who looked a lot different than that in, yeah. in light of all that sexual sin. Yeah. I met one who stayed by my well and said, let's work this out. Yeah. Like, let's write a new banner over your yeah. story. And so it became like, I get goosebumps even talking about it now. It just became... I know this like front lines charge. Oh, then let's talk about it. If he says, do it, do it. And it's terrifying and was overwhelming. And then once you open your mouth and speak, you're like, how have we been silent this long? Because everyone is hungry, Mm. hungry to hear the testimony of his faithfulness in light of sexual brokenness and hungry to know the healing, the wholeness, the redemption, and the boldness that can be found in light of that encounter with a Jesus who doesn't sweat like a church lady and turn uh-huh. turn a shoulder when you bring this stuff up, but who turns towards us and says, like, let's break this stuff down. Let's pull wow. this stuff off. And so it just changed everything. Yeah. So good. Mo, I love that you say, it's like you say this in your book and you said it here too. It's like you say, I'll go first you know, you're somebody who has just gone first and you haven't been scared. And so what was that game changer for you of like, of stepping full in with your testimony and saying, I'm just going to share everything from the messy middle to the stuff that needs redemption to the part that is, seems like everybody could say is too far gone. It's like you, you went first and you're such a pioneer and just a model in the kingdom for being brave and stepping up bold and rising up and sharing everything. And so what was kind of the game changer for you and your story? Goodness. Well, thank you. Um, I remember, I think the most specific moment for me, I was newly married um, and I had just come across, like we're navigating. I write about a lot of this in the book too, just this I think I called it the honeymoon hardship. (laughs) (laughs) My poor husband, but it was like so different, so different than what you just expect it to be. Like, we'll just say I do. And finally, oh, all this baggage, all this, I'll finally be doing it the right way. And it'll be this brand new thing. Wow. And then suddenly you're like, oh, all this baggage is still glued to me. <laughs> like yeah. All of this, I've worked through so much. I've known so much healing, but like there's a real sanctification process taking place here. That's kind of long arc yeah. and long term. But when we allow him to minister to us in that way, and we know that healing and we know that wholeness and we know that progress, um, it's, it's incredible. And I remember we were, you know, relatively newly married and we'd been moving through this really hard stuff but like sounds so silly people it'll make people uncomfortable it's really not like inviting Jesus into the bedroom realizing that that sex is actually a gift from God mm-hmm. that it's holy that it is sanctifying that it is a beautiful sacrament between husband and wife in the confines of his covenant it is powerful it's a weapon against the enemy it's an act of worship it's all these things we never say around it um, because the world so perverted it but man it was like coming into that freedom 
And, and I remember then coming across this article. It was a blog post that someone had shared that had gone viral. And it was a, a Christ-following female basically writing and spreading virally that she waited until she was married to have sex and it didn't measure up and she completely regretted it. And I'm seeing this just get shared left and right and just reinforcing from a wounded place of someone sharing, reinforcing a lot of things that just weren't of God. I'm reading the comments and like seeing who all sharing it and it's just breaking my heart. And I remember sitting in my dining room at one point and I got up and I walked to the kitchen and I just stir, you know, when your spirit is just like, oh, like, what do I do? Yeah. And I kid you not, I couldn't, I suddenly couldn't grab a piece of scrap paper fast enough. God just like downloaded sex, Jesus, the conversations of church for God. Do, 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 topic, 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 topic. And I'm like, I'm like, this is going to be the best blog series ever. (laughs) I'm I'm not even like dreaming big enough for the work that he wants to do. And I'm writing down like, what does this mean? Truly, I mean, when the Holy Spirit moves, it's not a drumming up of our own efforts. Sometimes it's like drinking through a fire hose and it's hard to even keep up. Yeah. If we'll make ourselves open and available to that. (laughs) And I remember writing all this stuff out and looking at it and thinking, wow, oh no. (laughs) Because I'm seeing all these different topical things that he's wanting me to speak up on and be a voice into. And I think when we live limited enough, um, self-preservative to only look at how things would impact us, how our obedience to God would just impact us. We really limit the fullness of kingdom come here on earth as it will be in heaven. We limit the fullness of what he wants to do with our lives. And I'm grateful I saw that blog post because if I hadn't, and he had downloaded this and I was just looking at, hey, share about your dad's addiction to pornography and your exposure at nine years old. Share about your struggles with enslavement to self-pleasure. Share about all the people you gave yourself away to and call. There's no chance, no way I would have done it. Not a chance if I'd only been seeing through my own lens, but because I'd seen this post and my heart was breaking for the people of God, Mm. for the wounded, for the hurting, for the lost. It's Mm. not even like I was 10,000 miles ahead, fully healed and whole, but I was a few steps ahead and saw some behind too. It was worth reaching an arm out to, to say, I'm only a little ahead, but wow, the freedom wow, the healing, like, come with me. Like, so it was really beautiful. I think to have the tension of seeing what the enemy was using Mm. and to have this rally cry from God to say, like, raise up the banner, blow the horn, like whistle blow on this. Even if you only reach a few people who are right behind, it'll be worth it. And those, the collision of those things, I think helped me push past like the self-preservative nature we live in a lot. Yeah. Yeah. To say, you know what, then it's like Esther. If I die, I die. Like I was sure it would be my own mother that would kill me after reading everything. (laughs) You know what? If I die, I die. Like there's freedom that needs to be found. And think about Esther's faithfulness in that way. She didn't know what the outcome would be, but she cared for the people who were oppressed and lost and who were to be killed, who were dying. Yeah. And and I think God just stirred my heart for like, get past yourself and think about the ones who are oppressed and lost and who are dying. Yeah. 
Wow. You have a death sentence written over their life by the enemy because no mm-hmm. one's being brave enough to come into the courts on their behalf. Yeah. And I was like, well, all right. <laughs> and you just Boy, do it. You know, it's, it's like, that yeah, is so good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's so crazy too, Mo, and, and you touched on this so much, but it's like, I think the enemy's tactic is so to, you know, he leads us into these sinful decisions or whatever, the lust of the flesh, and then he shames yeah. us for it. And then there's this yeah. condemnation. And then there's this like, oh my gosh, I need to go and run and hide and cover myself because I did this unclean thing and I want, yeah. I'm ashamed of it. And so I don't want anybody mm-hmm. to know about it. And I know in a message that I listened to yours of the other day, you had said like, as a culture, we've perverted privacy and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And I, I would okay. love for you to talk on that a little bit too, because I feel so much that we get in these cycles sometimes of like, man, I sin and I feel shame and if I run and hide and now I just have this sin cycle brewing in the darkness of my yeah. secret place. Yeah, yeah, so true. Um, yeah, this perversion of privacy. I think we've taken something that is um, a beautiful right in many senses, um, a, a, a right to privacy to a degree in our lives, to modesty, to some things staying in the intimate hidden place um, that's beautiful and can be powerful and can be appropriate in certain contexts. But the, the problem is that we have so perverted this privacy that it's actually just darkness and we try to make it look pretty. Like it's actually just taking privacy um, and taking the intimate hidden place and making it like this. So I'm just, I'm like an artist in my mind to a degree. So if I just talk in metaphors, but it's like, (laughs) we take this beautiful intimate place and we make it this dark cave of a brothel of hidden sin. And we pervert this privacy and we're actually just lying to ourselves. We're just keeping things hidden in darkness. And we go back to that darkness and with our hidden sin. Like we go back time and time again. It's kind of like this appeal of a false freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, think I wrote about this just the other day, but think about the garden, Adam and Eve in perfect holy unity with God, in perfect oneness, unblemished by sin, naked and unashamed before the one who knit them together, who loved them, who made them. And then there's this false appeal, this appeal to false freedom from the enemy of, hey, you, he's probably withholding something from you. There's probably more. There's probably better. Wow. Don't you want to be in control here? Don't you want the power? And it's this enticing offer to lording our own lives mm, wow. and deciding for ourselves what's visible and what's not but it's sin and it's this uh, false freedom that just actually coaxes us into being trafficked we wow. go out of this like holy marriage bed with god in the garden wow. this appeal of false freedom of something better and we end up trafficked and in the brothel of sin wow. and it is um so vicious because we've had God himself say, no, I'm, I love them. I want them. 
I'm on rescue mission for them, busting down these brothel doors, extending this outreached arm of mercy or the hand of Christ. And we actually kind of choose to stay in our brothel stall. Like I would rather keep this sin here. I would rather just stay in this darkness because at least it's predictable or it's what I've known or it feels safe enough. Or what would it mean to grab that hand and to walk out into that light? What would that mean? What's the world even like out there? What is it going to look like to actually follow Christ and to have to give up these things that have appeased my flesh or that have been my go-to? When I feel terrible, I can hit up that guy via text and get a physical fix and feel a little better about myself, maybe for a moment. And it's like we have had the chains broken off and we're invited to come out of the darkness and into his glorious light. But we're like those, um, oh, I got a good grade in psychology back in school and now I forget everything. But those <laughs> animals that like stay imprisoned, even though there's nothing actually keeping them there anymore. Totally. It's the same thing we do because we're just like comfortable with our little, our hold away dark sin. And wow. it's just so sad. Yeah. Because it's fear that keeps us there, even though he's inviting us into freedom. We're yeah. like... I'll just stay here. And, and I think what got me one day in reading the scriptures was he's like, everything in darkness will be brought into the light. Wow. And I'm like, oh, so it's unavoidable anyways, that all of this that I'm keeping in the hidden place, all these late night, all this living alone, all this who I can bring over and hit up. All of this eventually is going to be exposed anyways. And so Mo, is it better that, that I go first in allowing his light to shine into it and coming into freedom and beating everyone to the punch. Cause I was actually afraid people could dismantle my witness when they learn if they cared to share pictures, I had text or wow. last stories that, you know, were all around camp or whatever it may be. So I was like, also this feeling of like, get a jump on them, like <laughs> share wow. truth for yourself, be the voice to speak for yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and ultimately point to the glory of God versus allowing that darkness to ever be a manipulation point. Come out of it now so that it's not when you stand before the Father that light is shined into that dark place mm -hmm. and we stand in judgment for it. Yeah. It's not when, you know, the, the, the agenda of others, the agenda of the enemy finally yeah. brings all that stuff up to the surface and it's a cause of your ruin and you lose your job and you lose your reputation, yeah. you lose everything. Yeah. No, God's saying by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, allow light to shine into this darkness and come out of it. Come That's out. Because so I want to I want to free you. Yeah. And I'm like, so okay, huge. I'll do that. So I know that's the big roundabout answer to a question, no, but I, I love that. I think I love that. it helps to think we're just staying imprisoned in our own little cell. Yeah. And he's saying, come well, on. Yeah, and I think when we realize too, like, man, when I expose these things to the, the light, it loses its power, it loses its hold on me. Right. But not only does it lose its power and its hold on me, but it loses the hold and yeah. the power that the enemy's trying to bind these other people all around me with. And I yeah. think that's one of the really powerful things about your testimony is like, man, God has asked you to preach on a very big topic that the enemy tries to you know, tie a lot of people down with and torment a lot of people over. And mm -hmm. so 
to, you know, have the boldness to share the depth of your story that you do share and to be like, no, nothing remains hidden. Everything's coming out. The enemy's getting exposed at every area. Yeah. And I think you almost go into like war mode a little bit where you're like, the devil tried to take me out. So this means war, you know, like yeah. I threat anybody that he's trying to take out with me. Amen. And it's like, you carry that so much. It's like, even as you're speaking, I just keep feeling like, wow, you are like a frontline warrior that is fighting for the freedom of a generation. And it's so powerful, I think, for even just our listeners to realize, like, man, the parts of my story that the enemy's trying to bind Mm. me with, if I will stop listening to the lie of the enemy that I need to shrink back and I need to hide it, but instead I'm going to get up and I'm going to talk about this is how the enemy's trying to take me out. I think we would all find it so amazing to see the multitudes that come around us and say, yeah. oh my gosh, that area, the enemies tried to attack me into, and that area, yeah. the enemies tried to attack me into. Yeah. yeah. So I just love, I, I'm like so inspired just listening to how much freedom and openness that you speak about all of this. Cause I think we could all take notes and learn. Amen. Amen. And I think one thing, one thing when I always think about you is just you have like single-handedly like redefined, like the cultural narrative that's been constructed in the body of Christ of virginity and purity. And you kind of like helped like empower people to like understand the fullness of just what purity means and what it looks like to step into that. And I think you said, you said it in one of your talks of it's not just about behavior modification, but it's about a heart transformation. And we're trying, and you say how it's, you know, it's this life surrender question and we're trying to, just put a bandaid on it or, you know, make a list of do's and don'ts. And so just for our listeners too, I would love for you to just unpack purity more and just kind of like your revelation of it, because it's brought freedom to so many people. Yeah. It's amazing to even hear that. It's, it's tough. Sometimes you just sit behind a computer and write something and then you mom, three kids under four years old and you're like, God, God, I hope you're doing something with that. Um, it's amazing to even have the thought of it shifting things in the corporate understanding or conversation. That was my hope and my heart behind it, but it really doesn't come from some scholarly understanding of things. It simply came from experiencing them, you know, raised up in the church and at nine years old, asking my mom, I mean, I I was doing like a science project. I needed to figure out how snakes had sex and no one knows. It's a grand mystery. (laughs) But I remember coming downstairs and asking her these questions. And I'm sure the terms I was using honestly just shocked her because she didn't realize at that point already at nine, all that like my older neighbor had exposed me to and told me about that I had found porn and my dad's stuff and was, you know, regularly seeing that and seeking it out, hearing the language used there. So I'm just coming as a nine-year-old. People cringe when they hear that, but nine is actually the average age of exposure to pornography in our in our country yeah. right now, or, or last time, at least when I wrote the book, it was. Mm. That's the average. That means there's younger. Wow. Um, but I remember coming to her and sharing it is almost like she went a little bit into panic mode. I probably would too <laughs> if my child came with some of the things I was likely saying, but what she started to explain was she's like, no, 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 baby. Like what God desires is that we would be virgins when we marry. I was a virgin when I married my, your father was a virgin when he married me. And, and I like interrupted her. So I want to give my mom the benefit of the doubt that the conversation would have extended further into purity. But I remember at nine, all I needed to hear was like, 
that's what God says. This is what my mommy did. This is what my daddy did. I remember triumphantly standing up and being like, then I too will be a virgin when I marry. And I marched out of the room and I made this like vain virginity vow that, you know, is, is great, is great that people would, would obviously live in line with that. But the, the trouble was for me, when the conversation stopped at virginity, it became a works-based answer to like a life surrender question. Wow. It became, okay, then I won't do this thing. And that's really easy when you're nine. But then when you move into some adolescence and you start to develop, what happens to me and what I've found happens to so many is like, we just start pushing the envelope and testing the gray area. And the question becomes like, okay, so then how far is too far? Like, what can I do? I, I know I'm not going to go all the way. This is what I've said, but what then is permissible? What can I get away with? Well, the Bible doesn't explicitly state A, B, or C. And so what it, we come in with our rationalizations. We come in with our boundary pressing. We come in when it's works-based. We come in with all the ways we can manipulate the system. Honestly, if we're going to be frank, just really rationalizing how much we can uh, do and not go to hell. That's what we're trying to figure out. Wow. But the, the difference in simply discussing virginity versus reaching further and deeper towards the heart of man in discussing what the word speaks on far more often than it speaks on virginity is allowing the conversation to stretch deeper into understanding purity that God desires and calls us in his word to pure hearts, to pure minds, pure in the words we speak, pure in what we set before our eyes, pure in our actions, that it is not solely about what we do to try to be enough because inevitably we just default, our flesh will default to what we can get away with yeah. under that. But rather that the question wouldn't be how far is too far, that the correct question would be, oh God, how close can I draw near to you? Mm-hmm. That you would own my thoughts, that you would own my actions, that you would own my heart, that you would truly transform the heart within me, that I would not flirt with the enemy, but I would flee from sin, wow. that I would not have my cake and eat it too, but that I would hunger and thirst for righteousness that I would know, oh, it's not about just what I do or haven't done, but it's about who he's transformed me to be. Because the greatest issue when we just sit in the camp of virginity is that there's a lot of people who then lose their virginity. And what then? What then for the girl who gave herself away? What then for the one racking up the number? What then for the person who struggles and feeling like, yeah, I made that vow and then I didn't keep it and I'm gone and I'm used good. And what's the point now? Like when we simply are talking about the actions and the flesh level solely, and we miss the heart piece, then we lose a lot of people who think, well, I'm just damaged good. So what's the point? And we forget that he is Jehovah Rapha, the great physician, the heart surgeon, who at any place, wherever we are, exactly where we are, no matter what our past, what our history, he says, I want to tend to and transform your heart. My mercies are new every morning. And I, um, I 
can't scientifically, well, I won't say can't, I could do anything, but it's not about this scientific um, regeneration of the physical things that have been broken and lost. Mm. It is about the deep soul heart level regeneration of purity. You are washed by my blood. Your past sins are forgiven. You are a daughter of the most high king. You have come into a kingdom family. And by my blood, you are made pure. Now walk in purity. And when we, when I started to understand, whoa, I can't regain Mm. all these physical things I've lost. They've happened. They've happened. Right. But I can stand in the presence of the living God and allow my purity to be restored. And I can walk in complete dependence on his spirit, allowing him to continue to purify and sanctify me, but also to have a new banner written over my story of not just like girl with the list of guys at LSU, but redeemed daughter of the most high king living a pure and holy life. Man, that changed everything for the chick who was like in the campus clinic getting tested for HIV, like shortly before encountering his mercy. It it transformed everything to know purity was actually what he called of his people, Mm. what I was unable, even in my ignorance, to keep, and what he was perfectly able to redeem and to guide and lead me in. And that it wasn't a game over, like story done, you're used up goods. It was like, oh, your new life, your new creation. And, um, And it just, it changed everything. To speak to one thing you said earlier, it actually kind of woke me up from this religious stupor that I think we have sometimes of thinking, um, well, Jesus came to like forgive my sins and it's going to just be this struggle for me the rest of the days of my life. We're walking like he made us, like the power of the cross was only strong enough that we would have to cope through our whole lives, Mm -hmm. rather than realizing the power of the cross, the power of his blood is to break the power of sin off of us completely. And that his heart transformation isn't, isn't for us to just cope. It is to set captives free. It is to, like we said, drag us out, welcome us out of the brothel and say, these things no longer have a grip on you. Um, And man, when we realize that it just changes everything. Who are we? Who are we that he would extend such great love and mercy? Mm -hmm. It's like overwhelming. That is so good. It's a lot. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) It's like worth it. Girls preaching. I've been cooped up. I've been ready to just. Oh my gosh, I know. (laughs) Been cooped up with Corona. We're going to preach. Girls, so talk to us about just like like how the Lord comes into messes and redeems them and restores them. Because I think, like, I hear so So many stories from people of, of you, and you touched on this, of just like feeling, I feel disqualified because. I did this, or I feel disqualified Mm. because I dabbled with this, or because I looked at this, or because I engaged in this, and they feel so disqualified from the the blessings that God has in store for them. Mm. And like, what would you say to the person that that would say those things of just like, man, I feel disqualified because of my past, because of my history, and like, what would you say to them? It's good. Um, It is good. My answer is not as. 
fluffy as most people want it to be, <laughs> but it's, um, it's firm because there's a, there's a fight at hand that, like you said, it's a front lines battle. Like mm. there's a, there's a fight at hand that we must engage in and invite him to fight that battle for us. Um, but it is first and foremost, it is rebuking. It is rebuking this spirit of disqualification over our lives. I have to literally do it out loud sometimes. I have to actually <laughs> like cry out and rebuke the devil for pressing on me spirits of disqualification, of fear, of rejection, of abandonment, of all of this stuff that he just wants to use like a puppeteer pulling us by strings to keep us silent and imprisoned. And so for me, I have to call it out when I'm experiencing it. Like, and I need people honestly, actually around me in my life who will help me call it out too, or will call me up. It's not a calling out to shame or embarrass anyone. We need the ecclesia. We need the body of Christ around us to call up mm. the members when they are being right. oppressed and hurt. And so it is, um, first off, the humility to recognize when I'm just coming under the thumb of the one who wants to keep us pressed down, uh, the humility to receive when the people around me who love me point something out and they're like, Hey, you know, careful here, let's call this out for what it is. Um, but then there is a lot to be found in the beauty of repentance. And that's like, comes like a one, two punch when, I think we often think when I feel disqualified, I, I just need a cheerleader. No, we need a chain breaker. Like it is this invitation to repentance, which people like hear repentance and they're like, oh, fire and brimstone. That's so scary. No, it actually just means turning back. That implies you came from somewhere different than where you are right now. That implies this sin that is keeping you feeling disqualified or oppressed or overwhelmed or filthy. This is not where he intended you be. And the call to repentance is the humility to say, whoa, this isn't it. How did I get here? What is this? I rebuke it. I humble myself before the Lord to say, I am so sorry for, for grieving your heart in wandering off in my own ways. And I'm turning back. I'm turning back to the one who knit me and formed me and knows me and loves me. I'm turning back to that holy marriage bed before I took the bait of false freedom and went into the brothel. Like wow. repentance is turning yeah. back to God to say, help me by your spirit. I throw this sin off like take it. Here it is. I don't want it. I am so sorry, but I long for nothing more than you. And he is so faithful in repentance. Scripture says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, this rhythm of repentance in our life. God, I, I, I'm like brought to godly sorrow that I even came into agreement with this. And I'm, I'm asking you to take it and I'm turning my heart back to you. And man, if we can get over that hump of thinking repentance is like an even more of a shame pressing thing, like God's going to be like, good thing you acknowledged it, you filthy woman. He's nothing like the enemy. 
His character is so different and we're so deceived to it because we've only ever seen a picture of love that's perverted. We've only ever seen the ones invite us in and use us and reject us. We've only ever seen the ones who divorced and left the house when we were younger, the ones who put a gun to their heart and bailed on their responsibility. We've only ever seen the brokenness of man. But to really wrap our heads around the faithfulness of God, the goodness, the kindness, the love of God, it makes a turning back to him the greatest possible invitation. And when we can do that, when we can get over that hump and repent of that sin, oh, it's like it crushes the enemy's head under under Christ's heel. The breakthrough that comes is wild. You won't even be able to make sense of it. Like, the power that comes in keeping with repentance and throwing it off and turning back. He's like, you start to really learn the heart of God that he's like, well done. Like every good and perfect gift. Like, and I'm not talking about physical prosperity all the time. I'm talking about spiritual life and life abundantly of getting out of the junk, turning back to him the beauty of repentance. And that's when he fills us, when he pours out more of his spirit, when we come to know him more intimately, when we truly start to walk in from glory to glory, from strength to strength, like the word says. And so anyone facing discouragement, I would say rebuke that crap so quick. (laughs) That is not it. It's not from the one who knit us, informed us, and fashioned us. That Allow it. Don't run from it. Don't numb it. Some, of this, some people listening have been running from it and numbing it so long by continuing to stay in the very thing that's wounding them. Wow. It's never going to be your fix. The, the medicinal attempt to, to like ease the symptoms is yeah. never actually going to bring the cure. Yeah. And so it is a true, like wherever you are, whatever season, whatever it finds you in, allow your heart to be broken in godly grief, rebuke the the discouragement, but repent and turn back to him. And we will know the one who encourages and builds and edifies and strengthens. And it's just really cool. It's like an equation you can't explain. You just have to be like, just go do it and you'll see. (laughs) Go do it and you'll see what he does. He's so faithful. I love that. And you say in your book of like, we were putting band-aids on bullet holes and that's such an example of like, these are like life transformational questions and we're trying to not look at the root of the problem. And so I love that you just dive so deep into that and you're not scared to talk about it. Like, let's look at the root of issues. Let's not find all these symptomatic responses. That's the problem, you know? Yeah, exactly. Such a function, you know, or purity is such a function of our identity, you know? And so, so true. Mm. Yeah. Wow, Mo. Mo, we could talk to you forever. I know, oh I know. <laughs> Listen, I just, I've been in the house with my husband and our co-laborer for the kingdom, Brittany, and my three kids. Oh. And we're so, it's so beautiful to look at two other grown adults' faces. <laughs> I love it. I'm <laughs> all over you. It's so exciting. <laughs> you are literally so wonderful. We, um, we really felt, we wanted, um, just before we closed today, we really wanted you to just pray for all of our listeners. You have such a mantle of authority on your life and an authority over purity. And so we would love for you to just release that, um, and just kind of pray for whatever you feel. Um, you walk, um, just in such prophetic, um, um, acutivity. And so we would just love to kind of just have you pray and release things to our listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, 
Heavenly Father, God, we call you Abba. You are Abba, Father, the perfect Father. God, we just come before the foot of your throne and we just cry out that you are holy. You are holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with your glory. God, I just come before you, Lord, um, in this very dynamic, very important season of time, Lord, where there's much at play spiritually and physically. But if we can glean anything and looking up and looking around, it is the truth that you have stripped away every idol, every distraction, everything that we have depended on and turned to, every <laughs> medicinal hope to, to treat the symptoms in our lives so as to avoid coming into your presence and allowing you to minister to the root, to the wounds, to the deep places within us. Um, you've pulled it all away and you've invited us into your presence, into intimacy, into stillness, into Sabbath in your midst, God. It's one layer of what's at hand right now, God. And I just proclaim by the name of Yeshua, by the name of Jesus, God, I proclaim over all those who are listening that you would tune their ears to the voice of the good shepherd. I rebuke anything that might be deadening their ears, that might be clouding their eyes so as to not have ears to hear, eyes to see what you are doing, what you are um, moving in this time in their lives. God, I pray there would just be a stripping away from their eyes and their ears, that they would see more clearly, hear more clearly, that they would hear your voice saying, come to me all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Who is speaking over us like Isaiah 30 saying, come to me. It is in, it is in rest that you will find your salvation. It is in returning to me, repenting, returning to me and resting in me that you will be saved. Let us not be like the rebellious of Judah who would have none of it. Let us not leave this season the same that we entered in. But in this time, in this place, God, with those listening to this podcast who you have orchestrated to hear these words, would they find their way to your feet? Would they find their way to a prayer closet, to the foot of their bed, onto their faces, Lord? And would they cry out to you, Abba, Father, speak, your servant is listening. And God, would we be a people who sit still long enough, who fight the distractions that so desperately try to creep in, but who would lay down on our faces with you and listen. And Lord, as you begin to speak to each and every person listening, pointing out the wounds, pointing out the roots, pointing out the struggles, God, would you also bless them with the grace and with the, the ability to humble themselves before you, to not run, but to be like the Samaritan woman who sat at the well with you and wrestled back and forth and petitioned and asked to be like Jacob, who in isolation, Lord, wrestled with you and would not relent until blessing was given, God. And yes, you touched him. You touched him in a way that left him reminded of his humanity, but you also in that wrestling place changed his identity. He went from Jacob, the deceiver, to Israel, the one who strives with God. Lord, in the pressing place, in the wrestling matches, in the still place, would you shift identities in Jesus' name? Would you take women from broken and worthless and, and 
messy and deceived and deceivers, would you rewrite their identity to daughters, daughters of the most high king? Meet them with your matchless love, your grace, your mercy, your power. I pray for Holy Spirit baptism by fire over women who are listening to this, that you would pour out your spirit and burn up the impurities within them, burn up the strongholds that the enemy has yielded, wielded against them for far too long, burn up anything unclean that is keeping them captive. In Jesus' name, with your refining fire, burn out the impurity and allow new life to burst forth. God, we love you. We trust you. We pray praise you. You are faithful. Let one testimony be enough, God. Let many that rise up be more than enough, that a tsunami wave would come over the people of God to be renewed, restored, refined, purified by your power, that we would rise up, wake up and rise up and know our new identity, our true identity in you, um, that we are redeemed that we are redeemed and by faith through your grace, we can walk in that redemption boldly. I praise you. I thank you. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Mo, that is so powerful. What an honor. And you have a rich, rich inheritance in the kingdom for just all you've pioneered in the church and in culture. You have shifted people's paradigms for just purity and redemption and everything in between. You're so, so powerful. And so just telling our listeners, where can people just find you and find more about your ministry and follow along? Um, Most of them probably know that you've written two New York Times bestsellers and where can they just follow along on your journey and support you? Because you've probably impacted so many lives today. I hope so. Sure. Yeah. They, um, I'm on Instagram a good bit. I like a good little Insta story here and there. Um, I have extremely cute, I have cute kids. So we always dash those in there. I love it. You're redeemed from your sexual brokenness. And also here's the cutest little baby with Um, Instagram for sure. Just at Mo Isom, Um, our ministry, Bold Life Initiative. Uh, We also have a website over at moisom.com. They can find the books there. Same with Amazon or whatnot, but you can, see the books there. You can also find additional resources that we just offer for free there. We have an eight-part video series called Sex and Jesus, The Conversations Continued, that actually takes things beyond what the book Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot, beyond what it even unpacks. It takes things further and deeper, and it's free. It's completely free and available to anyone who would want to move through that um, And so that resource is there. We just have a handful of stuff, discussion guides, conversation starters uh, there at moisom.com. And so our heart is to just provide for the people of God freely and um, just trust him to to provide and and break chains. So that's all there. Find me at moisom, at moisom on Instagram. Y'all, wasn't that so incredible? Oh my word. I hope y'all were as impacted as I was. Please make sure to go check out Mo on Instagram at Mo Isom. Go check out her website, buy her books. Let's support this woman. She is doing so many powerful things for the kingdom and we want to back her. We love you. We'll see you next time.